Welcome sports fans to the hottest sports podcast in the game, JT and the Don, with your hosts, Jimmy Thompson and Donato Bucci. They're covering the most current issues in sports from the 305 to the 412 and all the way to the West Coast. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at JT and the Don or email them at JT and the Don at gmail.com. Now take it away, guys. Welcome back to the next episode of JT and the Don. I am the Don Donato Bucci. And remember to please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, and whatever other platform you find all of your other favorite podcasts. And please remember to leave us a five-star review. I am coming to you on Take Delay from our satellite studio in Pittsburgh. But from our Miami studios, let me welcome in everyone's favorite JT. How you feeling today? Are we really that broke that we're the only league or, you know, publication that's doing tape delay still? Yeah. 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 We're like the NBA right, so, back in 1980. <laughs> so thank you for letting everyone who listens to us know that, yes, we are broke. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Hey, the NBA once was. They were on tape delay back in the 1980 finals. And I don't know if we're going to. I don't know if we're going to turn out like the NBA. <laughs> but I mean, the fact that you're, you know, keeping hope alive like that. Uh, I guess I got to roll with that. Thanks. Of course. Hey, you never know. You never know. Because, JT, we have some uh, breaking news as it just came out as we were getting on the air. Um, and for the fans out there, we're recording this episode on Sunday night. So just uh, a note about that. Uh, but, JT, Cam Newton has signed with New England on essentially a bare minimum deal on a one-year deal incentive-laden. Um, but he will get a chance supposedly to compete. So just initially, like I said, breaking news, just off the top of your head, what are your initial thoughts and reaction to this? Well, one, I guess I was right because I did say that that was the team I thought he would end up on. I know you're not going to give me credit for that, but uh, I'm glad that he ended up somewhere where I feel like he's in a good position to have a good coach and a good chance at success. And shoot, can we just put the whole Patriots rolling into the season with Jared Stidham as their starting quarterback to bed? I, I couldn't believe Bill Belichick would let something like that happen. And I guess Bill finally came to his senses and saw that there was an MVP quarterback on the market who's not going to cost him that much. And he made, to me, a brilliant move. I can see them winning – 10, 11 games, easy. Yeah, I mean, I think this is great for both sides here. I mean, Cam gets a chance to prove himself, one-year deal, so he's not locked in long-term. He comes out, competes, wins the job, does really well. Guess what, JT? He's still only going to be about 32. He can get another big contract before the end of his career. And then for New England, listen, like you said, I could not believe he was going to roll with Stidham. We know that Bill Belichick does not – like to take chances in terms of um the quarterback position give, yeah quarterback <laughs> position giving games away and so not completely surprised by this uh but i think it's a great move for new england because now also jt hey stidham young guy can get complacent knowing i've got no tom brady looking over me no one to compete with me now he's got to bring his a game if he's going to be the starting quarterback in new england i tell you what how pissed are all those people that I don't know how put some bets on the Buffalo Bills just running away with the AFC East. <laughs> they got to be so mad right now. Well, Bills fans in general, because 
it was just slam dunk that everybody thought the Bills were going to win this division. And then you add somebody like Cam Newton. And people forget, the Patriots still play defense. They still have a top three defense in the NFL. And if Cam can just, you know, do what Belichick does best on offense, don't give the game away and let that defense win it, there's no reason they shouldn't come out of the AFC East. I mean, you talk about Buffalo being upset. The whole AFC is upset again because they thought, hey, this is the one the one year, the first year in 20 years that from beginning to end, we may not have to worry about New England, but now that uh, that's not so true any longer. Uh, as, a, as a Dolphins fan, nothing's <laughs> really changed. So this is just business as usual for us. <laughs> well, speaking not so much business as usual, Major League Baseball, uh, last week, JT, Rob Manfred decided to implement the 2020 baseball season, even though the two sides could not agree on terms. So there will be a 20-game season with opening day on July 23rd, Yankees Nationals. You posted about it on IG, so fans take a look at it out there. Uh, The rest of the games will start July 24th. Two big changes from years past, though. Are JT's favorite a universal designated hitter? Because he always How did loves this become my favorite. <laughs> you always talk about it. And then during extra innings, a runner will be placed at second base to start the inning. So, JT, with all of that said, who is the blame for this public relations nightmare uh, that baseball is going through? And just to kind of clear it up, you said 20 is it's 60 games, right? Yeah, 2020 season, but it's a 60 – did 60 I say 20-game season? Game okay. season? Yeah, Sorry. yeah. If I did, it, it's 60-game season, yes. Because if it's a – I can't even read – I can't even read my own notes. Gonna win. What's yeah. that? If it's a 20-game season, the Pirates can win that. <laughs> no, uh, but um, – I don't know about that, but go ahead. I think it's easy to see who's to blame here, and it's the owners. And it's just because ever since this whole thing was, you know, in the open as far as – the players and the owners trying to agree on some some middle ground to have this season. The one thing that stayed consistent was the players had already agreed and were willing to play for a prorated amount since I believe it was March. So they already had agreed on this amount and the owners kept lowering the amount that the players would make every time they come up with this new proposal. So that coupled with there's like little things that the owners have been saying and been doing that just shows that they're just greedy. And if the season ultimately didn't happen this year, it would have been their fault. I read somewhere where they tried to get the players to sign some sort of like liability waiver that if they contracted uh, coronavirus while on the job, like they wouldn't be held responsible. And then the, the main thing that really kind of pushed it for me with the owners was they kept making the argument about revenue and, you know, like how much will be lost this year. So they were saying that if they play with no fans, that the fans being in the stands bring in about like what, like 40 to 45% of revenue and that if they don't have them this year, they're going to lose that amount of revenue and therefore the players would have to take less. But then if that's the case and you're already losing 40, 40 to 45% of the money based on no fans, how could you ask the players to take a pay cut of up to like 65%? That just makes, that makes no sense. The owners missing 40% for one season, one calendar year is not going to have anywhere near the impact that athletes are make, missing 65% of their earnings when the lifespan of an athlete is already shortened anyway. So that to me just shows the greed of these owners. And then you look at, so what? Let's say if no fans go into the stands this year, 
the owners are still making money off of those lucrative TV deals they have. Every every baseball club has one uh, locally, and then some have some with the national national brand. And then those franchises are worth money anyway. I think I was reading somewhere that Forbes valued the average MLB franchise at like one point eight billion. So them missing forty percent for part of twenty twenty was never going to be an issue. This was strictly about greed, and they wanted to get as much out of the players as they could without having to give up anything. So it's the owner's greed, plain and simple. Well, I, I disagree with you, and, it, and I got to start at what you said at the beginning in terms of, okay, the prorated I get. Hey, if the players want 100% of their, of their salary per game, I get that. The problem then ended up being, because I think eventually the owners budged on that. The thing was, though, the players still wanted 72 compared to 60. So, JT, if you're going to say, which I agree, the owners were being greedy, you got to flip it too. And at the end, the players became greedy too. Because instead of you saying, hey, we understand what's going on in the world, you're giving us 100% of our per game salary, technically, the prorated 100% of it, then, all right, we don't need those extra 12 games. They didn't agree to that either. So I blame both sides here. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that both sides failed to see the big picture, JT. And I've been saying this a couple episodes ago that they could have been the first sport, and they still basically will, of the four major North American sports here to, to return first. Um, but they could have come back sooner, and they didn't need this to play out in the media. It, baseball naturally allows for social distancing. So they could have worked all of that out. But – Again, we spoke about this a couple episodes ago. Whichever side, whichever side had budged more now could have made up all of that later in the CBA, meaning they could have held their ground to say, hey, we did you a favor back then. If, if the players had budged now, come CBA time, said, we're just going to strike. You thought you were going to lose money in 2020? Hey, owners, you're going to lose a lot more because we are not playing at all. And I understand the players – would not be making money either. But at some point, you got to put your foot in the ground then. Now was not the time, JT. Both sides, whichever side would have budged now, could have held their foot in the ground later and been right. Now they if, both – hold on. They both are wrong, and they, bo- and they both look greedy. So I blame both sides. But – and I'll let you make your point or counter me. Both sides, again, could have benefited – greatly in terms of TV exposure, right? In the excitement of a different format uh, for the season, like you said. But if I got to put it on someone, it's Rob Manfred. And I'll tell you why. He should have stepped in a long time ago, one, so it didn't play out in the media and it didn't turn fans away. And then two, he made it worse. He first says, I'm 100% sure we're going to play. And then he has to retract that statement. You're the, you are the leader of this league, in my opinion. That's why you're the commissioner, right? I always talk about high up positions. They have to be held to a higher standard here. Rob Manfred should have, he should have taken care of business and it, the heat falls on him because of his title. He's got to do better here. He has to, he should have done better. So who does Manfred work for? It doesn't matter. (laughs) Technically the owners, but JT, he never came in and, his job, yes, to work for the owners, but it's also peace-related. It's the same it's thing. It's the same thing related. as when we, give, when we give Roger Goodell heat for things that he does. Yeah, because he's the face and he's out there on TV doing X, Y, and Z that pisses us off. But we know at the end of the day, Goodell doesn't make a move without the guys who pay his so, paycheck, JT, the owners. JT, 
His job, though, he may work for the owners. His you know, job you know is what to his say job whatever is. the owners no, 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 want no. to do. His job, if you are a good commissioner, your job is to do what's best for the league. And that involves what's best for the owners and the players. He did not do it here. So it now, falls now, on him. You, now, now, maybe if you want to say, I agree with you to a certain extent, but if you want to say that, if anything that Manfred is guilty of is you're just crappy at convincing your bosses what's the best thing to do for both sides and making us look good. If that's the if, if that's something you want that's to fine. accuse the commissioner of, I'll give you that. But I find it very hard pressed that you're going to walk into a room full of thirty something billionaires and say, "Look, man, we're going to give it to the players." Because I don't think that conversation is going to go very well. But it's not even if you're giving in again. You need to convince them that, hey, come CBA time, if they don't agree to what we want, the major points, we lock them out. So they can have their 50% of their salary this year because they missed three months of the season, but they're going to pay for it on the back end. That's the way negotiations work. You have to use leverage. And neither side saw the, the, the foresight on how baseball could, could not only help the country, but they could have helped themselves, could have helped Major League Baseball. Do All better, right. Rob. Do better, Rob. Yeah, let's see how you would do in that situation. So let's move on to NASCAR. Well, this JT, where, huh? give me give me fifteen million, and I will try it with all my heart. Dude, I give you fifteen million. <laughs> you will you will dance for every every owner and be like, "Hey, what do you guys want me to do?" Cool, I know you. NASCAR's gonna move on to NASCAR, where this past week the FBI concluded its investigation into the noose that was found in Bubba Wallace's garage at the Talladega uh, Speedway. Uh, the FBI concluded that there was no federal crime and no crime committed. And the investigation revealed that the noose had been there in the garage as early as October, 2019. So Don, I just want your overall thoughts on this situation. So to be clear, JT, it was not Bubba who reported the noose. And I know people Thank you. I just, I, I just want you to say that again. Can you please say that a little bit louder? So, as far as we know, it was not Bubba who reported the news, right? Cool. Yep. So, and I know, and, and we've heard this, people are saying he cried wolf and comparing it to the uh, Jussie uh, Smollett incident, but that is a terrible characterization of this particular instance, all right? Many differences to distinguish it, but then one, just looking at this in a vacuum, uh, these are my thoughts on it, all right? The garage pool rope was in the form of a noose. We saw the pictures, all right? To me, as a regular person that knows nothing about cars, NASCAR, looks like a noose to me from the, from the, from the photo, all right? So to me then, there was cause for concern and an investigation was necessary. To me, no doubt. And listen to this stat, JT. NASCAR conducted a thorough sweep of every garage area in all 29 tracks at which it races. A total of 1,684 garage stalls, okay? They found only 11 total that had pulled down um, rope tied in a knot, all right? So of the 1,684, there were only 11 like this with that pull rope. Furthermore, only one of those had a noose and it was in Bubba's garage. You can say it was coincidence, even if you're saying it was a coincidence, which I'm not. I, I, I don't know what to think about well, that stat. Well can, well, can we just say this and I'll let you continue. Let's just put it in simple terms. The people that, like you said, 
it was reported that Bubba Wallace wasn't the one that found this. It was a member of the team. Right. So that means the people that found it that are around these types of things on a regular basis, they thought it looked like a noose. NASCAR, who definitely <laughs> knows what the pull-down ropes for garages look like in their own sport, they thought it was a noose. So they, and I'm they thought and I'm it looked a little different than, than normal yeah. then. And I'm pretty sure that the other white drivers that may have got a glimpse at it, they know what a noose looks like too. So let's just get that out of the way that, you know, oh, it was small, it was this, it was that. You went through three levels of people that are around this every day and they all thought it looked like a noose. So imagine what it looked like to people like us who have never been in a NASCAR garage before. Right, I, absolutely. Great, great point to elaborate on it. Um, and so JT, it goes back to basically kind of following up what you're saying there. To me, an absolute cause for concern that it, one, should have been reported, which it was. Two, should have been investigated quickly and thoroughly, which it seems like it was. And that's why we investigate, JT, to find out the truth, to see, hey, is there something to worry about here? And so, JT, follow me on this. I'm glad there was no hate crime here, all right? I, I, I am glad that there was no hate well, crime you, Well, what, what's, now, uh, it's interesting that you say that, is that I, obviously I feel the same way, too. I'm glad that there was no hate crime committed at least according to the fbi investigation we'll talk about that later but i wish that people felt the same way you did because it seems like people are more upset that there was you know no crime committed rather than oh why are you bringing this up right you know trying to make and, it seem like it's something it's not and, and the that's NASCAR, nascar felt so strongly about it they were worried that they called in the fbi that's right. what you're supposed to do. If you think yeah. something wrong is going on, you bring in the authorities to do an investigation. Like, that's how things work. And, and to follow up on that, too, Bubba Wallace should be relieved as well. And to he me, said he, was. he did. No, I, I know. This is my point. It would be terrible for him to have wanted there to be an actual crime and perpetrator here. All right. In order to just avoid the backlash, you know, that he's taking for possibly saying, oh, look, it's fake. Like, to me, that's not fair to Bubba Wallace, all right? He shouldn't have to walk on eggshells and worrying on whether to report something or not in the future. Oh, and you know, he, you, definitely, you know, he definitely you know said I mean? that he, I know what you mean, and he definitely said that's, that that's something that he wasn't going to do. He was like, look, man, I'm not going to let this thing beat me. I'm not going to let it break me down. Because you could tell just the it, whole situation at Talladega yeah. was really emotional for him on so yeah. many different levels. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a shame that he should have to worry about, oh, how's it going to be looked if I report something that I feel is wrong? You know, like that. that's not the way anybody should have to, to live. Well, I'll say this. Um, I agree with everything that you said, but I want to take it a step further. And just to kind of add to my thoughts on the whole situation, I want to take it to NASCAR. And first of all, I don't know. I think I said this to you when it happened. I've never seen a federal investigation be conducted that fast in my life. So, I mean, if the FBI truly found no evidence of a hate crime, hey, look, we got we got the best uh, federal investigators on the planet. So that's first thing. But to me, I feel like and we'll kind of I'll kind of delve into this a little bit as we go on with this conversation. But I feel that when it comes to NASCAR, this felt it just feels to me a little I hope this is the right word, disingenuous. And it felt like two things were going on. One, like we were saying, they reported this so fast because they didn't want it to get out. If somebody else saw it and they didn't report it, it would just be a disaster for them. Hey, 
we had this picture of this noose looking like rope that NASCAR just didn't report. Oh, and it just happens to be in the garage of the only black driver in our sport. That's the first thing they had to do that. But I also have a problem with just where NASCAR, how it started, where it's been to all of a sudden they I feel like they're not the ones that are taking the heat for this because like you said, Bubba had nothing to do with this. NASCAR was the one that put this in the media for people to digest and nobody's giving them any backlash. And it just starts with things that I've seen just because, you know, me and you were active in media. We're always looking on, you know, different social media platforms to see what's going on. Two things that really stuck out to me during the whole thing, because this also stems from their recent ban of the Confederate flag, is that everybody is upset about this not happening and, and essentially being a hoax. But there's other things that NASCAR is not speaking on that happen. Like one, they banned the Confederate flags. How come we're not talking about all the people that gathered outside the, uh, the Talladega zones in droves to show all of their Confederate flags? So basically they're saying, you know, we don't care what NASCAR says, we're still gonna do our thing. And then also too, did anybody say anything about the plane that just happened to be flying over Talladega that said defund NASCAR? I wonder what that was about. That's another thing. And then to me, I'm not saying that it was wrong, but like we just said, to me, I know what a noose looks like. It looked like a noose. And if somebody can come to me and say, look, every garage pool and every NASCAR, you know, speedway, this is how they look. I would say, okay, I understand you on that point. But then my next question would be, then it just says, it just speaks to the amount of diversity in your sport that for this long, if that's how garage pools look, that it, one, it didn't alarm anybody. And two, it didn't bother anybody. It just lets you know, there's not enough different people in the room to notice that because I promise you, if this was if it was football or the NBA or baseball and that was somewhere in the locker room, it would have been taken down because somebody would have recognized it and said, look, this is not a good look, man. We need to get rid of it. You agree? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And and you made a great you made a great point about, you know, um, breaking it down, as a matter of fact, to how many garages actually had the look of this specific garage pool. But I want to take it a step further. This happened on a NASCAR track where I'm pretty sure, you correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure there's limited access to who can get into these garages, right? I would, I would think so. I would hope so. <laughs> so. So to me, what that says is if this noose, like garage pool, was placed in Bubba Wallace's garage, that means somebody who was marching with them out there when they were trying to, you know, look together in unity, somebody who was in that group was probably part of the culprits that actually put it up in his garage. Like to me, that just makes normal sense. And to me, I just feel like this is the part that's just, to me, just seems disingenuous is that somebody out there probably had a hand in doing this. And I think that's why this investigation went so fast because they don't want it to get any worse than it already looks. And then I just look at some of the people that were out there with him and just go back to some of the things that they've done in the past. And some of them are not that far away. Like, um, I hope I'm saying his name, Richard Petty, right? Who Bubba Wallace is on his, his, his basic, he's basically on his team, right? So he's out there hugging Bubba. He's with him. Yada, yada, yada. They're together, right? Same guy back in 2017 was making comments about kneeling. Basically said, and I quote, anybody that don't stand up for that ought to be out of the country, period. If they don't appreciate where they're at, we got them where they're at, the United States. Also, there was rumors that Petty would say that he would fire anybody that knelt for the national anthem. Same guy 
hugging Bubba Wallace, taking advantage of this goodwill moment and, you know, posing for photo ops. And then also, too, another reason why I feel like this whole thing just seems disingenuous, you just look at the history of NASCAR. Like, I, what I'm about to say right now, I actually did not know I had to do research. I've listened to people. And I did not know that, like, how Talladega, the Speedway, came about was a really unique situation. I did not know that the press box at Talladega originally was named after George Wallace in 1972 by Bill France, who, you know, was basically one of the like the founding forefathers of NASCAR. Do you know who George Wallace is? I do not believe so. All right. So I'll break it down for you really quick. George Wallace <laughs> was known for two things. Uh, he was a former governor of Alabama for four terms. He also ran for president three times. Uh, side note, uh, one, of the one of the times he ran for president he still to this day is the most successful uh, independent party to run and get the most votes for an electoral college. You got five Southern states to vote for him. So that's a big deal. But basically Wallace, just to explain it to you, was known for two things. He was known for NASCAR and he was known for segregation. He is the same person that came up with the phrase segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. So this is, this is not only the person that basically Talladega was built for, because he was the governor of Alabama, but Bill France at the time endorsed him for president. So that just speaks to the history of NASCAR. And then fast forward to 2016, his son, Brian France, endorsed Donald Trump for president. Let's go to this year, uh, back in April. You remember the whole Kyle Larson situation where he blurted this racial slur on an iRacing uh, event that was streaming live? Yeah. Yeah, ex exactly. So this is why I feel like the whole thing is disingenuous. I want to see more information come out. And I just really want to see what NASCAR is really going to do to change. And it's got to be more than words and a photo op of us just driving around in a circle at Talladega that's going to convince me. So with all that being said, what do you think the future holds for NASCAR? Uh, boy, JT, I, I really don't know. So I hope you have a good answer to this. Um, <laughs> I, I know, I know our, you know, awesome fans listen to us for, for our opinions, but I'm not sure. So I think NASCAR is trying to, to make the correct moves, you know, for example, investigating this right away and right some wrongs in the sport, which people may not agree, but there's been some wrongs in the sport. Um, and now I think they take a hit here for the rest of the season. Once the other sports start up and NASCAR will take a back seat because I think what has got, you know, these stories have put NASCAR to the forefront, unfortunately, but it has put them there. And let's face it, JT, you and I probably are never going to consistently watch it or follow the sport or follow NASCAR because that that's where I disagree with you, but go ahead. Okay. But we didn't grow up watching it. So I don't think you can sit there and tell me it's a Sunday afternoon in five years from now that if we're together in the living room, hanging out, that NASCAR is going to be on there at one o'clock on a Sunday when the Steelers or Dolphins or Patriots or whoever it is, is playing. Are you playing fantasy NASCAR? I don't think so. You're going to be playing fantasy football. All right. And so what I'm saying is because we didn't grow up around the sport, because, you know, we didn't, we didn't grow up watching it either that yes, NASCAR may lose some loyal fans, to this and the flag um, in the Confederate flag coming down. 
Uh, and again, they're not I, fans. I, Hold on, they're kinda, not fans. I, I, I kind of like disagree us. with you on that. I don't. But I don't think. Me, that me, Nas, I don't think NASCAR is going to lose fans. I mean, because where else are? Let's say the people who love the Confederate flag and they're making a big deal about but, it now. Where are they going to go to get NASCAR? But let me finish. I said some. I didn't say was it going to be a lot. And what I'm saying is, it's not going to affect the sport. Like having them bring the Confederate flag down, they may lose some fans. But even if they do, it's not going to affect the sport or not. This is all I want. I want NASCAR to continue to try to do the right things in terms of the social justice support. And, you know, there was a great video by Coach Kane. This is what he said. It's better to make the difficult right choice than the easy wrong choice. All right. So what that means is NASCAR, no matter the backlash you may take, you need to continue to do the right things. At the end of the day, if you lose some ratings, some viewers, you know what? At least at the end of the day, you can say you're trying to make that difference. But again, JT, I don't think all of this affects the future of NASCAR. Even if they lose some fans, it won't be a lot to go back to, to what you said. Well, before I give the answer on the future, I want to go back to something you said uh, you just said about uh, NASCAR doing what's right and, you know, not taking the easy choice. This is what will change my opinion on NASCAR as far as the disingenuous part, because I agree with you. It's going to fade away now, but this is going to come up again. There's going to be a few things that NASCAR is going to have to stand firm on. That's really going to determine where they stand. One that whole Confederate flag thing is not going away because these people who really are behind the Confederate flag have rocked with you from the beginning and they're not going to go to the side without a fight. So you're going to show the world where you stand on that issue. And it's not going to just be a few weeks. They're going to have to deal with that. And that's, and that's what I want NASCAR yeah. to stay, to stay strong there Two, the bubble, the, the vitriol that's going toward Bubba Wallace is not going to go away anytime soon either. So what I want NASCAR to do is as that continues to happen, NASCAR is going to have to come out and really drive the point home that, look, this is what we want. We wanted this investigated. We thought this was wrong. We think this needs to change. They're going to have to continue to stand up and do that. So those are the things that I want to see them do kind of to what you said. Now, to me, I think the whole thing with NASCAR and why this thing came out with, with the, with the news is I think NASCAR has been trying to do this for a while and they might've, they might've really pushed it just based on the current climate that's going on right now in the country. So just walk with me through this long story short, my answer to your, to the question about the future of NASCAR is one word bright. And I'll tell you why. And it's because I think that NASCAR has been trying for a while to find a way to outgrow the quote unquote for me, the Confederate flag fan base, because they've known for years that there's a cap financially with that fan base. Like you can only go so far because one, it's a, it's a certain, uh, certain economic group. And, but it's also a lim it's a limited amount of people because, because you have that flag there, there's just certain people that aren't going to be at those events. So you know, take that how you want to. There's a cap anywhere you look at it monetary-wise for them. And then, and plus, I didn't think about it this way, but I had a great conversation with one of our friends that really knows NASCAR. Uh, shout out to Oldsman Bros for educating me. 
NASCAR really doesn't have any star power. Like they're all gone. You know, the Earnharts are out of the sport. Uh, Gordon's Gordon's not there. Um, like Jimmy Johnson, when he was dominating, uh, even then, like, because he didn't fit like the Southern mold, like people hated him because he was a California kid. So Bubba Wallace to me is really their person they can get behind to be a star. And like, if you look back, I feel like they've been really kind of trying to push him since he's been like, what, like 15, 16 years old. And he's actually a really good driver and he has the talent and they see that and they know that they can build, they can build with him as the face of NASCAR. So to do that, you have to take these stances. You have to get rid of the Confederate flag if the face of your league is black. You have to, you know, make sure that these things like the noose rope pool aren't going on. You have to clean up, you know, the image of NASCAR before you really, really make that happen. And there's a big difference between how NASCAR is perceived and then like F1 formula racing is perceived. Like F1 is has more prestige it's international it's more profitable like that's where nascar i believe ultimately wants to be and then i think what nascar saw in the past three weeks with the whole bubba wallace situation just look at the things that have happened one alvin kamara went to an event at the homestead motor speedway a, a nfl star was at your event bringing in all that attention two LeBron James has been speaking on NASCAR more than I've ever heard. And because LeBron is speaking about it, that's bringing more attention to your sport, positive attention. Also, too, I can definitely see this happen. Can you imagine what it would do for the popularity, the ratings, and the amount of people that follow the sport if LeBron James shows up to Talladega wearing Bubba Wallace's jersey, what that will do for NASCAR? It will, it will drive it through the roof. NASCAR knows this. And that's going to bring in more Black fans. That's going to bring in more white fans that weren't into it before because other big celebrities and other sports are taking notice of what's going on. It's no different than when Tiger Woods burst into golf. Yeah, the golfers and the people who traditionally were golf fans might not have liked it at first, but guess what they realized? He drives up the ratings. He drives up the viewership. And the eyes that watch golf, and also, too, those older golfers that didn't like Tiger Woods at first, what do they ultimately end up saying? When Tiger is on the course, we make more money. So we want him around. And I think that NASCAR is just trying to follow the same route, and I think they're, they're going to use the situation to catapult them into a new level, and they're going to be able to make more money. You bring up some really good points. So this is my question to you. Sunday afternoon. September, October, as the NASCAR Cup chase comes to an end, what are you watching? NFL or NASCAR? If there was well, a Dolphins fan, if what my game's over at what four anyway. But I mean, to be honest with you, if it's getting attention like that, I might I might take a peek at the end. You know what see, I mean? I can see I, I can see myself watching some NASCAR events if it continues to be in front of me on see, TV every time I turn it on. I think this is and listen, I hope. Again, NASCAR is doing the right things, and I hope Bubba gets a chance and possibly other black drivers. I don't know if there are any – like, I don't know how that works. Like, do they get signed to a team? Like, do they – are they recruited? Like, I, I don't know how any of that works. But – and that's part of, because I'm not a NASCAR fan. You and I have never watched it. Like, and I think that's the difference between that and golf is – you have seen golf. The golfers are more visible. All right. This is the same between people recognize basketball players over football players. Why? Football players have helmets and pads on. Basketball players don't. 
Same situation. Tiger was so popular because of the sport. And that's my whole point. It is the sport. And listen, I want it to be bright. I'm just saying, I don't know. And you make really good points. I'm just not sure because NASCAR, the league, the sport is so specific, JT. And that's and that's what NASCAR is trying to outgrow. And they've been gifted this publicity. I'm telling you right now, one of, one of the biggest things what? that was telling to me that this could happen is had nothing to do with Bubba Wallace, had nothing to do with LeBron. It was the fact that black people wearing Black Lives Matter shirts showed up to Talladega to support Bubba and, Wallace. And, and that is that is a hold great, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. that's a great first step. But they have so many steps to go because that sport I'm also not, is not, regional, I'm not, JT. I'm not, it's I'm not, regional. And you and you know you bring up you bring up a good point about the regional and you're right and this is where it goes back to the point that we both made that NASCAR has to continue to be on the on on the right track because I've never been to Talladega but we both been to the Homestead Motor Speedway right yeah like, together we were there together yeah and I, I'm telling you right now like I just feel like it's a different feel because we actually went down on on the course and we were like where the drivers were but like it's just. I think the newer courses, and I, I've heard this from other people that I know that watch NASCAR, like the newer speedways that have been built, like not in not in that southern region, like they're not like the the history of like Talladega and some of these like southern speedways. Like they're more like the homestead where you know it's more open to having a diverse crowd come to those events. If if you can if you can if NASCAR can find a way, and I believe that's why they started taking out the Confederate flag. They're trying to find a way to clean up these southern tracks so that it can draw a bigger audience. Because I'm pretty sure those same black people that showed up for Bubba in support, who probably didn't never probably never watched him before, probably didn't didn't even know where Talladega was. Now that there's no there's no Confederate flags allowed there, and now they know that they have a black person they can go out and root for, that's gonna drive interest in the sport. And that's how these things start. It's the same thing with golf. I knew plenty of black people that didn't watch golf until Tiger Woods started playing. And now, now as Tiger has gone on, it's just gained more and more interest. It's become more and more popular. So I know it's going to be a slow process, but this is what I think can happen. I, again, two major differences. I get what you're saying. Golf One, is sport than NASCAR. it's yes. regional. And two, people know about, knew about golf. NASCAR, yeah, no one knows anything about NASCAR. I agree, but I'm telling you, when you have certain people that are bringing attention to your sport, people will just start to peak a little bit more. So this is the other thing, and maybe, and you know me, I'm usually, I try to be as optimistic as possible. Not today. But, You're like, NASCAR is going to crash your bird. But with this sport, in particular NASCAR, and what we've already seen, JT, think about how long they've allowed the Confederate flag up. That's it, what it was never going to stop. And I understand that's, sometimes that's that's but that's the part I'm that's the point I was making about why I feel like some of this is disingenuous is that they have allowed it for so long. They have supported people like Wallace, who you know what he's about, like, you know what the Confederate flag represents. You know, they have to prove to me that this is just not a PR stunt. And you right. really going to you really right. going to have to clean up your sport image in order for it to grow. But the opportunity right. is there. Yes. I guess where we differ is I, I totally agree. We're on the same page there. You, just I don't just, think it's a, you don't think it's a big enough sport they can ever make that leap. No, no, no. I just don't know if NASCAR will consistently keep doing the right thing. And that's been my oh, whole no. point. I hope they do. But listen, if they might see a little slip in ratings, they might freak out and they don't continue to make the right moves. That's why I, I said 
I hope it's better to make the difficult right choice than the easy wrong choice. Hopefully NASCAR does not go away from that. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, right. Hey, look, that's ultimately what we both want. So we will, I'll end on that note. Perfect. Right. Yep. We both want them to make the right moves. We'll see if they continue to do it. Well, did Dak Prescott JT make the right move by finally signing his exclusive franchise tender uh, from the Cowboys, which guarantees him $31.4 million this season, if there is a season. So, JT, what do you think? If they don't come out to a long-term by July 15th, he's playing on the franchise tag. He's already signed it. Yeah, of course. You just said it. If there is a season, he better get that money while he can. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like we're in a we're in an awkward situation where COVID might shut down the whole season. There's $31 million out there on the line. Yep. You'd be stupid to not get it. And if your Absolutely. agent told you no, I'd fire him too. And it's, I mean, this is shown to be an okay move. Kirk Cousins did it twice in Washington. And what happened to him? He went out there, played like he normally did, didn't necessarily win a bunch of games. And by the time it came up for him to be a free agent, he got a record-breaking deal. So this is absolutely a great move for Dak. Did you uh, steal my my notes on this one? No, I, I, I <laughs> mean, how many different variations of notes could we have? <laughs> Listen, that, of course it's a good move. Exactly what JT says, the Kirk's Cousins effect. Um, also, he don't, he don't even know his name. Think about I said Kirk. You've been, you've been living in DC. They don't they, they don't know Kirk Cousins' name in DC. What did I say? Say said Kurt. I said Kurt. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Bruce. Bruce. I've listened to too many Bruce Allen. Uh, press. You've been living in DC too long. <laughs> yup. Yup. Kirk Cousins. Um, he will. Dak, I should say, will make eight times more money, JT, with that contract than his total earnings so far in the league, all right? Plus, the Cowboys were not going to rescind the tag, and they would have essentially tagged him again next season. So Dak could not afford to sit out two years. You got the COVID-19 going on. Don't even know if there'll be a season. Plus, maybe it's some good faith, good faith effort in signing a long-term deal for both sides. But, JT, the Kirk Cousins effect. Dak signs 31.4 this year. Even if they tag him again next year, he makes – 37.7 so two years 69.1 million guaranteed in two years give then me he, that then he goes gets his big contract just like kirk cousins did plus jt the fact that none of the 14 players who have been franchise tagged this offseason none of them have signed a long-term deal so it was either you sit out a whole year which ends up being two or you make so you your get that 31.4. million dollar paycheck. Absolutely. That's an easy decision. Absolutely. Glad I didn't steal your notes. So <laughs> let's move to another guy who's trying to change his situation in the NFL, and that's Jamal Adams. Uh, last week, he officially requested a trade from the Jets. Uh, he had a list of about eight teams that he'd be willing to play for and be traded to. That list included the Ravens, Texans, Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers, Seahawks, <laughs> Cowboys and the Buccaneers. Quite a list, JT. Quite a list. Any any place is better than playing with Adam Gase. Out of those eight teams, which one do you feel is the best fit? All right. So can I say this? First off, he is a heck of a player. All right. So first off, I think I feel like I feel like we're I feel like we're gonna agree on this, but go ahead. Since Some two, odd reason I feel like we're gonna agree on this. I don't you mean on the team? on the team oh uh, let's see since 2017 all right he leads all defensive backs in sacks he's tied for second in forced fumbles third in snaps and he 
by Pro Football Focus, the seventh best safety in pass coverage. All right. So with all that said, I think the right Monster. fit right fit for him is the Seattle Seahawks. All right. Russell oh, Wilson. Just, anything to get your boy Wilson some help. Russell Wilson's already signed. So you don't have to worry about, oh, if I go to Dallas, are they going to have enough money for Dak? Because, yeah, you get your money. Guess what? If you don't have that franchise quarterback, they're going to struggle. All right? So Wilson's already signed. And, JT, they were half a yard away from the division. Imagine adding Jamal Adams. All right? They have $68.7 million in cap space for the 2021 season. That means they can sign him to a long-term deal. And then, all right, and then sign Tyler Lockett because this is what you want if you're Jamal Adams. You want two things in this deal. You want to go to a competitive team, right, which the Seahawks are, and you got to go to a team that you can get that long-term deal without crushing the rest of the team. $68.7 million in cap space for the 2021 season. Guess what? Jamal can get both competitive team and then get his long-term deal. Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson, look out NFL. I agree with you on all those points, but there's a place that he can go where he can get that, and he doesn't have to do what you always harp on, playing in the dreaded NFC. It's a no-brainer move. He got to go to the Baltimore Ravens. He has to. They have their franchise MVP quarterback under his rookie deal, I don't know who their big paid paid free agents are on the team because it feels like everybody's See, you forget something. You forget it's, something. You can, forget I, can, something can, I say, can I say? Can I say why? Can I say why? You agree with me on this because you said this before. Easier road to the Super Bowl is in the AFC, right? Uh, right? Yeah, okay. I think. I think. Well, yes. I think right now, yes, especially with New England being iffy. Yeah, and then. If you add Jamal Adams to that that defense, especially that secondary, they might have one of the best secondaries of all time because you're teaming them up with Marcus Peters, Humphrey, Earl Thomas, who's still playing at an elite level, and then Jimmy Smith, who's still a damn good corner. We know the Ravens are going to do Ravens things and play defense. We know they're going to find pass rushers. Who the hell is going to throw on them? Because you have Peters and Jamal Adams, who are both ball hawks. You're going to move them around. I, the Baltimore Ravens defense, if they get Jamal Adams, is going to be that one defense that nobody's going to want to play every week. And they might be better than the Legion of Boom, if you look at it. It's the, it has that kind of potential. And they're adding Jamal Adams when they were already a top five defense last year with nobody you knew on the team except for when they traded for Peters and then Earl Thomas, like who's older. I'm telling you, it's, it's easy because what Adams does well – fits well with what the offense does. We're going to run the ball. We're going to control the time possession, and we're going to beat you up on defense. He has to go to the Ravens. So I think that's all fine and dandy. You hope that it doesn't happen. I get it. Of course I don't. But this is the one downside to going to the Ravens, JT. It would be now or never because, because yes, they'll have 65.9 million in cap space in 2021. But guess what happens he did, after he did that? It. He did his research. I he did. Knows that, you I, know it's a strong possibility that he's going to be course, facing the Steelers. You know of that. Of course. But this is why I'm arguing that Seattle is the better fit. I'm not saying Baltimore is a bad fit. I'm, we're saying what's the best fit? It's Seattle. This is the reason why. Russell is signed. If, if Lamar Jackson wants to, he can pull Jamal Adams on him 
after this year and hold out. He'll be three years in the league. People forget he played his rookie year already. He's done two seasons. He's going into his third. If Lamar Jackson balls out again, you think he's going to sit under a rookie contract two more years? He's going to pull Jamal Adams. And guess what? If you didn't win this year, what's going to happen? You know, Jamal, that was great and all. We still didn't win with you. We're going to sign Lamar Jackson, hit the road, or you play under your fifth-year team option. And he's in the I, same boat. I see where you're coming from, and I know a lot of this is uh, <laughs> generated by the fact that you just don't <laughs> want to see him in the AFC North. <laughs> I'm trying to but, talk him out of it because we know he listens to our show. He's like, yeah, I mean, Jamal, if you listen to him, there's no opportunity for you in Baltimore. I just think you guys could have one of the greatest defenses of all time. But I get what I get what you're saying. But here's the thing about Lamar is, yes, at some point he's going to get paid. He's going to want the money. But I think that Lamar cares about winning enough where he'll if it comes to opportunity where he might have to take a little bit less. I can see him being one of the rare players. It does. I just see him that way. OK, I, I can see that, too. But if that happens, then they got to get him weapons because Mark Ingram isn't going to play forever. And they just that's, traded their other tight end. That's for sure. So let's talk about the other team that essentially he's running away from the jets and you know what i'm gonna say to this question what should what should they do the jets should do nothing have him play listen jt why trade him unless in my opinion i know they're asking for a first and third i don't think that's enough jamal adams got two more years left on his contract you should Mm -hmm. get two first round picks for him or something crazy if something crazy like that comes along then you do the deal if not hey you got two years left on the contract he needs his service time to be a free agent. And, I mean, like, why would we trade him? Why? I've always said this. It all depends on leverage. Jamal does not have the leverage compared to what some of the other guys like a Dak Prescott and stuff have had. I agree with you. It's all about leverage. And I think Jamal does have a little bit of leverage because, one, like you said, he is on. he still is on, on his rookie deal. And he's actually really good, so people feel like he's that piece that can help them get over the top. So I think he has a little bit of leverage. The Jets need to trade him. My ideal trade would be a first and a second rounder. But at the end of the day, what's messing this up for the Jets is it's Adam Gase. And I strongly believe if they don't trade him, I can see Jamal Adams just not showing up and playing for Adam Gase. And they better trade him now while they still can get some value for him before the league figures that out. Because it's one thing to not want to play because of money. It's one thing to not want to play because you hate your coach. It's a completely different thing to not want to play because you hate Adam Gase. And that's like the strongest level of hate. Like you can only hate Dave Gettleman more than hating Adam Gase. They need to get whatever they can while they can, because they're going to lose their leverage pretty soon. Maybe. I mean, you bring up a good point there, but at the end of the day, two years left on the contract, he has to play, JT. And guess what? If he doesn't play well, he doesn't get that big contract. So you if know he, he's going to ball out. If Jamal, if Jamal Adams sits out for the for this upcoming season, which is probably going to be a shortened season, he'll he'll be just fine as far as trade partners. They'll they'll be trying to acquire him throughout the entire year. So I think he'll be fine. But you know, sticking with football in the twenty twenty season. Uh, with NHL and NBA and then even baseball, like we talked about before, all set to resume training and practices uh, essentially next month in July. I wanted to ask you this question. Do you think that we will see football at some point this year? So the NFL, yes. I mean, reports are, (laughs) JT, the NFL is going to trudge along. 
with the season no matter that sounds what. So, that sounds like they have <laughs> no clue on what's going on. They're just going to be show up. Yep. <laughs> if you get if you get sick, you get sick, but we're just going to move along. Yeah, we, we got to play. It's the NFL. Um, listen, I, I'm guessing they'll have a manual and guidelines like the NBA, which the medical experts have said the NBA's like manual is unbelievable. It's such an impressive document. So if the NFL uh, goes along those lines, then they might be good. But, you know, NFL's redesigning locker rooms. Maybe if they, you know, have their charter – because they have chartered flights, you know, they have so much money there, they can do a lot of different things. Whereas college, though, JT, I'm less optimistic because, again, less resources for an athletic department compared to the NFL. And if a second wave comes, I think schools close. They go back to the online learning and – I don't think schools can justify having a football season if school is not open for students to attend in person. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, as scary as it sounds, I do think there'll be football this year. And like you said, there's money to be made and players, owners and coaches, they need to get paid. Right. But the only this, the only thing that bothers me is I just don't see a way that they're going to play football this season, especially like you brought up already. Like, people are already testing positive at a high rate. Like, the whole Clemson team, I think, has COVID-19. I don't see any way it's going to be played without some sort of, like, consent waiver being signed by these guys. Because, I like, unless you brought up the point with the NBA and they have, like, this whole plan, like, one of the another thing that they're fighting for, and if you said this, forgive me, I'm, I'm going to repeat it, but one of the things that the NBA players are fighting for is like they want an additional like incentive thrown in there to like cover like any medical things that happen because they are going to go into this bubble. And if if they happen to contract COVID or get complication from that, like they want additional like medical covers like built into their contract. So unless the NFL is going to do or, or football is going to do something like that, I just don't see how it's going to be safe for the guys to do it. But I think because football players, especially the professional ones on average, they need the money more than the basketball players. I just feel like, like you said, they're just going to, you know, tread along and, you know, we're going to see what happens and kind of go through this thing and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. You know, JT, you bring up a good point with the money and just off the top of my head, like what it would be really interesting to see, if players, as soon as they came into the league, agents took care of them in terms of, hey, and, and players need to be, you know, good about this too, that I'm saving my money, saving my money. Because when something like this comes, JT, this is the chance to change everything as far as football players for the NFL and negotiating. Because oh, if, they, sure. if they could all sit out this season and say, hey, I understand I'm losing a year of my prime career, but, but we'll be good. It's, it's not worth my health and I'm good financially right now, you know what? All the players agree. We're sitting out, owners. Like, it's, it would be really hard for the owners to force them to play because the players would look so good in the media and the owners would look terrible. And it would come to a point where owners would be like, okay, we'll start up in 2021. And now the players got a lot of power because they can put a lot of stuff in those contracts that, hey, covers COVID, covers this, lifetime insurance. Like, I think it could be so different if agents and players figured it out as soon as they came into the league and they wouldn't have to worry about playing this year because it is dangerous. I've told you from the beginning, if it's safe, fine. I want my sports, but if it's not, I don't want to see these guys have to risk, you know, the rest of their lives or, or their families and stuff like it. To me, it's, it's I mean, you and know, plus, it's, I mean, let's just be honest. 
you know, the whole thing with, with COVID is it attacks, you know, parts of your body that are already compromised that you might not know about. So, right. Like football players are already banged up anyway, so I don't yeah. want them going out there catching COVID at a higher rate, and then it's just exasperating all these underlying issues that they already had that's be already being covered up by like painkillers and all this other crazy amounts of medication they take. I just think for football players, especially the NFL players, it's such a high risk of if you catch COVID and now you're trying to you know still train and do all this stuff, it's a greater risk for them, and I just don't know if it's worth taking. But like you said, they need the money, and it's a you know, a weird, unique situation to be in. Yeah, I, I still think the NFL is going to trudge along and they're playing no matter what. All right, so JT, halftime adjustments. Uh, we are about halfway through the show. So let's go to – what, you don't believe me? <laughs> no, I believe you. I just can't believe I'm talking to you this long, but go ahead. <laughs> I know. We're only halfway through. Stick with us, fans. Um, Chubba Hubbard. Or I'm sorry, Chuba Hubbard in yeah, Mike Gundy. I was wondering how right. you were going to say his name. <laughs> I had it one, written down one, correct. One, one B and then two Bs. <laughs> I had it down correct too, and then I still went back to to the wrong to the Cause, wrong. Because you wish that was his name, because that sounds much better. Um, so let's go back a week or two, uh, JT, when Mike Gundy, head football coach at Oklahoma State, went fishing in his T-shirt, caused quite the stir. Uh, with one of his players and then the, the rest of the team, Chuba Hubbard. Gundy posted a picture on social media of him, meaning Gundy, wearing an OAN shirt. OAN stands for One American News Network. And it is seen and is a far-right cable channel. So Hubbard and Gundy have since talked it out. And Gundy said changes will be made. So, JT, I want to know what your reaction to this uh, was and – is this a dangerous time for college coaches? Well, first, I just want to kind of set the story of Chuba Hubbard, just in case you don't know who he is. This is one of the best players in college football. The guy could have been a first-round pick last year and, and he and, chose to come back. And he's going to have some Heisman odds to, to win the Heisman. He, was, he, he should have had Heisman odds last year. So I he think, might be one I of the – I think he may have, too. He might be the best running back at Oklahoma State since Barry Sanders. Can we – he might be. So he's 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 up there if you look at the stats. Okay, I so thought you were just, gonna, I thought you were going to say you know the best at Oklahoma State ever. So uh, right. no 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 no, it okay. can't be better than Barry. No, but no, I'm just saying North Thurman just, Thomas. Yeah, Thurman Thomas is up there too. But he's in he's in that class. So I think that's what's getting lost. Is is this not some like backup or some player we don't know about? Like this guy is the real deal. Probably one of the best players but, at but Oklahoma even, State sorry to cut you off but even if it was a backup should that mean the story no, goes to the back page no it shouldn't but that's usually what happens is like well he's not playing so that's why he's upset no this is legit the guy that's getting Mike Gundy paid is the guy that's pissed off so I just wanted to throw that out there um I'm gonna tackle that first part of the question what's my reaction I feel like this happened so long ago but it's still very important um at the time we were going to talk about this I read up on own and I, uh, I even went to like listen to some of their broadcasts on YouTube and um, I was like, okay, I mean, they just, to me, they seem very much like Fox news, but not as like well-produced put together, but just to describe own in a nutshell, this is the, this is the headline that kind of really started this whole beef between uh, Hubbard and Gundy was there was a commentator on own. Uh, her name is Liz Wheeler. I've seen her. Uh, 
Recently, she described the Black Lives Matter movement as, I quote, a farce that speaks for oppression and revenge. So that just lets you know how they feel about certain things. Now, fast forward to Gundy. To me, he is in more danger than any coach that's facing any one of these situations. And it's because, one, his star player and other players I'll get to have come out and, you know, not only bashed him for wearing this own shirt, but they bashed him for, you know, racist acts in the past. And I'll get into those. And to me, he's done other things that let me know if he doesn't play this his cards right, to me, he's as good as gone. And if the players really wanted it and the university was on their side, I feel like he would have been fired already. And I, I don't understand why Oklahoma State – I get why, but I don't understand why – they were so openly behind Gundy to the point where I feel like, did you see the video where him and Hubbard got together and kind of squashed this? Yes. Yes. Tell me that wasn't the most awkward meeting of guys. Like, look, man, mom is making (laughs) us, mom is making us apologize to each other. I still hate you. It was awkward and it had nothing to do with the social distancing that was going on in the video. My man, Hubbard had his arms crossed the entire time. And he's like, look, they want me to read the BS off the cue card and I'm just doing this. He's like, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Even, so, even the handshake was awkward. I don't oh, think Hubbard terrible. wanted to do it. It was terrible. But like, like I said, Gundy has done things to let me know that he's a loose cannon. And it started, it started back when. Do you remember? I forgot. Was it like, like March or February when he was when all the sports got shut down when COVID first started coming on the scene and really starting to be an issue. And he was like, No, like the guys don't need to be quarantined. They need to get back out here and get to work for spring football. Don't think that should have been said. I definitely don't want my coach telling me. So basically you're saying you don't give a damn about my health. You only care about that paycheck and us going to work for you. Okay, great move. And then he he made comments about Owen back in April. So I'll just read these. This is how Mike Gundy described Owen and how he came to be a fan of them. I was flipping through stations. I found one. I don't even know if anyone knows about this. It's called Owen. It's called One American News, and it's so refreshing. They just report the news. There's no commentary. There's no opinions on this. There's no left. There's no right. They just report the news. So this was what essentially, you know, drove him into being a fan of Owen. Trust me, I've listened to the reports. There's definitely opinions. There's definitely a right, and there's definitely commentary. So that's the first thing. Then... Knowing that the Black Lives Matter statement was out there, he said he didn't, but I'm pretty sure he did because everybody knew that was out there. Then he wore the shirt in a photograph. Okay. Then I believe it was four days later, that's when he got called out by uh, Chuba and some other players. And then the next day, he came out with a statement saying, I want to apologize to all the members of the team, former players, and their families for the pain and discomfort that has been caused over the last two days. Black lives matter to me, which is that standard quote that has been said that's supposed to absolve everything. Our players matter to me. They didn't matter when you wanted them to go back out there and play during COVID. And Gundy was made aware of how the network feels about Black Lives Matter. He said, I was disgusted and I knew it was completely unacceptable to me. So you just found out that this news station felt this way about certain things, in particular, Black Lives Matter when the majority of the guys that you kids that you are coaching and you are in charge of are black this is why i can't buy this and i can't believe oklahoma state was behind this 
Gundy has literally given you a track record just in 2020 alone that he is a loose cannon that you should be looking to say, how can we remove him before he really screws us to the point where we can't recover? Gundy knew what he was doing. And just to, I'll let you go in. I just want to say this. It wasn't just Hubbard. Other players are speaking out against Gundy, even players in the NFL. Uh, Ravens running back Justice Hill, he said, he tweeted, OSU athletics and university need to make a major change. 100% support my brother Chuba. Uh, a former linebacker, Patrick Macon, said, um, he told, he, uh, Gundy told me that I was going to get sent back to the hood numerous times. Oh, by the way, that Patrick Macon kid transferred because of this to USF to finish out his last season in 2019. Um, current DB, uh, uh, Kenayon Williams, I hope I'm saying, saying this right. He was, I was threatened. I was going to get sent back to the hood numerous times. How many times did he say he was going to send you back to South Dallas? Talking about Gundy. Another former cornerback who plays for the Browns, A.J. Green. Oh, by the way, he's another guy that was a really good player at OSU. He was a Thorpe finalist last year. Tweeted, can't stay silent anymore. Call a spade a spade. Oh, also, too, some uh, former linebacker that played against Gundy in college at Colorado accused him of saying a racial slur in the game. And to me, I don't think it's so much about Gundy wearing the shirt as much as it is about players just are tired of the way that Gundy's been treating them. And they're all coming out and talking about it. The shirt was just the, like the straw that broke the camel's back. I think Oklahoma state needs to really take a look at if Gundy is worth holding on to at this point, because once all this stuff keeps coming out, players aren't going to want to come play there if he's still there. And you see that happening. Players are transferring because of the Confederate flag. Guys aren't just going to go play for anybody anymore, especially not guys that are talking to them and treating them like this. Good, good info there, JT. And I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I had to Google exactly what the OAN network was. I think I had told oh, you that. Oh, me too. I, 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 I spent the whole night watching, you know, <laughs> multiple different things they were talking about. Yeah. It, after talking to you, I was like, I, I, I have to look it up. So for the listeners at home, you know, look it up and, and you can make your, your own, you can formulate your own opinion on it. And listen, no there, intended. there, there are political uh, news channels. And then, you know, there are some that are, that cross the line that are going to cross the line. And listen, I, people may not like this opinion, but, and I don't, I, I'm, I don't want to make it a political statement and I don't believe what I'm going to say is, but, and this is to, this is not all coaches. All right. I, again, I just don't want to generalize. This is not all coaches, but I'm speaking directly to this situation. Coaches, especially college coaches, they need, in my opinion, I've used this word a lot in this episode. They need to see the bigger picture. They need to understand their players and they need to be able to relate to their players on multiple levels. Similar to what you were saying, uh, JT and, while I'm not saying a co as a coach, you can't have an opinion, but they need to realize that their words, their choices in their, their actions do affect their players. And so like you were saying, like, Hey, I'm going to send you back to the hood. Like, would you say that to a white player? But first you know, of all, like, what's the, you're right. What's, but to me, what's the point of saying that? Is that supposed to make them play better? I, you know, every, every coach has their own what they perceive as their own different motivational tool um 
Well, they haven't won a national championship, so he needs to stop doing that. Yeah, well, they need, for example, Mike Gundy needs to try to understand their players and what they go through. And in particular, you are, you are, you know, you are to be a leader to these young men and help them grow. And you making decisions like the one Mike Gundy did in the picture and all the other times, all the other incidences that you just mentioned, JT, like, it's decisions like that that demonstrate you're missing the pitcher. Like, you're missing the pitcher. And whether he should get fired or, or not, you know, I'm going to trust they'll make the right move. But, like, he just – they the coaches, and again, Mike Gundy in particular, needs to understand what his actions and what he says, like what, what effect it has on his players. Like, I think he's totally missing – the relationship part with his players. I don't it's, think I don't think he cares. I think and, a lot of I think and, a lot of this is and if what that a lot is of, the case, coaches use. It's it's the Bud Kilmer thing. It's I want to I want to put fear into my players so I can get them to do anything I want to. At well, any there's time. different ways of of doing the fear if that's the way they want to go. But the way Gundy's doing it, if that is the case where he doesn't care, then that's where administration has to step in even more and either suspend or, or remove him. Now, in terms of the other part of the question, is it a dangerous time? To me, this is the way I look at it. And you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, JT, what you think about it. I don't think it is because if you have, and if you're doing the right things, putting your players first, all right, and all the things I had just said, you're going to be fine. If you say or do things, if you say or do the wrong things, then I mean, you bet, you bet you should be sweating that. Look, I just don't understand why why they feel like Gundy is so worth protecting because to me, it's the it's the players that make the success of the team. Like, yes, the coaches are gonna coach, but like if those guys don't go out there and play and they're not any good, you're not gonna win any games. Well, it doesn't matter how I think you're missing the point there because well, one, I disagree with it's the players. I mean, listen, Bama bu- it, Bama and Miami have always had good players, but they've only won under certain coaches. But to go to your last point that it's not about what if he was winning, it shouldn't be about that. These are college athletics. Until you pay these guys, your main responsibility, in my opinion, should be the leadership part, growing these young men so they can become leaders. And the way Gundy's doing it, he's not. So whether he was winning or not, he's not worth protecting. I don't, I don't think he's been worth (laughs) being protected for a while, but I guess, you know, Back to the point, uh, the last point that I was making is that I think this just speaks to who he is. And I just can't believe the university rushed both of them to go out and make this apology. And I feel like they're trying to make us buy this Mike Gundy redemption tour. And one is too fast. I mean, all this happened, I think, in like seven days. So I'm supposed to believe that he loved own for five months. And then all of a sudden now he knows it's wrong. He doesn't believe anything that he's been digesting. And he just loves his players now. And also, too, I mean, if if he knew it was wrong, how the hell did he get the shirt? That's what I want to know. Like, where do you get an own shirt if you if you're not a fan of own? Like, that's, I, like, a, that's a good question. They may have sent it to him. After they his might have comments. A, after but I'm comments. just saying, like, like, how do you get an own shirt? Is it is it available in the student union? Like, is it online? Like, I'm not because I love ESPN, but I don't own an ESPN shirt. Do you? 
I don't know how to get one. I don't know. I, I don't even you. know where you would get one. That's a great question, Jay. It just it just tells me every, it's just the same thing we were talking about with the Iowa situation and even my comments on Dabo. And you brought up a great point, man. These these coaches just don't have they're not in touch with their players. They're not in tune. They're not in sync. Like they need to spend more time getting to understand. And it should be more of a partnership than like, hey, look, man, what can I get out of you for the four, three or four years you're here? Yeah. Yep. All right. So let's go back to the NFL. Interesting story. Did not know about it at the time, but that's the great thing about us. We have a research department. So Bengals they're, they're owner, doing a great job. They're yeah, doing they're, a great yeah, job. Somebody pay those guys because it ain't us. Bengals owner Mike Brown in an article by uh, Elise Jesse, I hope I'm saying her name right, of WLWT5 reported that the Bengals owner, quote, begged the team not to take a knee during the anthem prior to a 2017 game in Green Bay. Um, I even saw this video of George Iloka. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Uh, former safety and other Cincinnati Bengals players were interviewed for this article and specifically mentioned that meeting prior to the game against the Packers with owner Mike Brown and that whole conversation that happened. Nato, what are your thoughts on this? Man, so JT, this is, I mean, this is like an interesting story because we're going back in time a little bit and now putting it to today, 2020. But Mike Brown, so... Hear me out on this. Mike Brown is president, CEO, owner, whatever his exact title is, you know, can make his feelings and demands felt, I feel, as far as football. Or if there is some sort of mutual agreement in place prior to. But, again, going back to the whole Gundy situation, understand your players and make time. Like, make time to understand them. Like, to beg them, (laughs) you you know, to beg them not to is basically saying he is more important than what they are going through at that time. That's why he he said what he said. He said, (laughs) I don't want you guys kneeling. Our fans will crush us. Right. He was looking at it as he is more important because at the end of the day, it's he who would lose the money. All right. And I understand it's a business, but and and maybe fans leave. All right. But they won't. You would <laughs> but like we we figured that out. Yeah, they wouldn't, but like you have a potential to gain something. And to demand or beg how players should act, like again, he's gotta do better. All right. And at some point, JT, people need to ask, Mike Brown need to ask is money or trying to help people more important. And again, we talked about this, like football fans, I believe you may lose some, but don't you think you're going to gain some by the solidarity you have with your players? Like there's got to be something said for that too. You're going to lose the fans that maybe you didn't want in the first place, but you're going to gain a lot more with your players and possibly new fans. And how about you just want to be on the right side of history? And, and that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, at some point, you're choosing money over just the right thing in life. Like, again, which, was it a... Which seems to be such a tough decision. I mean, again, them kneeling is not a crime. 
it, you can have whatever feelings and opinions you want on it. But again, Mike Brown was succumbing to the pressure and not understanding his play. That's what it comes down to, not understanding, not taking the time. Because one thing you forgot to mention there, JT, is that as Mike Brown was leaving the locker room, oh, I was George, get to it. George yeah. Uloka was trying to get his oh, attention. He, he, he to came say, back and talked to him, yeah. To, to say, and Paul Brown kind of just turned around and kept walking. And right there, George knew he don't want to hear this. Yeah. And it was crazy because um, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure you watched it too, but I was watching the video interview that our local actually did, and he was describing that whole situation. And he said when Mike Brown came in there, one, he was visibly emotional. So it was something that was very serious to him. And also he didn't let any of the players talk. Like they were all silent. And he just was like, look, this is what it is. Don't do it. They're going to crush us. I don't want to hear anything else about it and left. And Iloka said something that I kind of wanted to add on to what you were saying. It's, and it's almost, he said, it's almost like saying, go be oppressed somewhere else and keep it out of my sight. And that's well, basically. Well, hold on. That was that dealt with a meeting before Mike Brown. That dealt with a meeting. There was 30 players. Georgie Loka said it was about 50-50 between black players and white and white players in the meeting. And he said that the white players did not get on board with the kneeling. Yeah. And that's exactly. the feeling they got. It was like, hey, go be oppressed somewhere else, not here. And and also too, in that in that interview, uh, at least I hope I'm saying her name right. First of all, great job for cracking this story because she was giving quotes from players that wanted to remain anonymous. So that tells me some of those guys are probably still on the team. Yep. And this just goes to, you've heard this, you know, this off season, now that Cap's back in the news, well, hey, why weren't the players supporting them? Because I think more of this was going on. I think the owners and or whoever that head coach was, was coming to the players and looking and saying, look, we're not going to do this or you're not going to be here. And I think there was division within locker rooms of should we do it or should we not? And I think a lot of what happened in Cincinnati was happening across the league. You heard rumors about this happening in Oakland with Derek Carr. Shout out to Miko Grimes for breaking this story for us. She was like, that's probably why Derek Carr struggled so much that one year where him and the offensive line got into it because Derek Carr was like, look, we're not going out there to kneel. And his offensive line that was mostly black was like, how are you going to tell us not to kneel instead of just talking about it? And I feel like a lot of this was going on in locker rooms. And I'm just proud of, you know, our local for coming out and, you know, shedding light on the whole situation. But to, for Mike Brown, for you to just, one, not even have a conversation with these guys just shows that you have no relationship with them. And, that they're, and it, they're, they're, just, they're just assets to you. And it's a little intriguing that the Bengals came out with a statement and they said a conversation was had, but – are you, someone, are you saying a, so, a little a little bit of Norvella FSU was going on? Someone's lying here, JT. <laughs> my, there's a my lot money more, is on management. And, and a lot more, and a lot there, a lot more of the players were interviewed for this article than anyone in the front office. So tells you something. You've got a lot more corroborating Georgie Loca's story than uh Mike Brown's story. Well, I'll tell you what, it's whatever whatever he said, whatever actually happened. It must it must have had a strong presence and resonation with the players because I don't remember any Bengals players kneeling. Oh, absolutely! They locked arms. They locked yeah, arms. Okay, locked arms. Yep. Yeah, that that's what they ended up going with after what Mike Brown said. Yep. So if your owner comes down and says we're not doing it, nobody's doing it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so JT Reggie Bush, interesting story. After ten years from being disassociated, really uh, not an interesting story. But go ahead. 
You don't think? No. I, I will tell you why. Right. From USC, they have welcomed welcomed him back to the Trojan family. All right. So what was your reaction besides thinking it was not an important story, which it is, and I'm going to tell you why. You probably will. You probably will sway my opinion, but to be honest with you, who cares? Because, oh, how perfect timing. USC wants to associate with Reggie Bush now when USC isn't, they're not even a good program. So this was so long ago. Everyone knew that he was getting paid at SC. Like he was the best player that season and obviously the Heisman Trophy winner. Like, I think I saw somewhere where they took it away from him and they tried to give it to Vince Young. And Vince Young was like, no, nah, I don't even want to take it. Reggie was the best player that year. And it just shows, like, what was the point of this? Like, he was already gone. Like, good players at good schools get paid all the time. You know this. That's how they get there. Like, I don't really care about this story. So this is why you should, all right? First, yes, it's about time. But you got to do your research, JT, because this was not necessarily USC's fault or their choice, all right? It was man a mandated disassociation by who, JT? Probably NCAA. NCAA, a mandated disassociation, all right? And in fact, there was a new rule that, because this came down in 2010, there was a new rule in 2017 that it limited these disassociations to 10 years, meaning, JT, Without that new rule in 2017, he would still not allow to be associated with USC football or the school. It was not until 2017 that they limited it to 10. And they said after 10, basically they'll look the other way, meaning the NCAA. And then you can do whatever you want. If you want to oh, continue, okay. if you want to continue to disassociate, that's fine. If you bring them back to campus, that's fine too. All right. So this should have been the school's decision from the beginning. All right. And again, you're right. Everyone knew this was going on like USC is going to pretend like they didn't know. But the NCAA and the rules and the power, like in their power, it needs fixed. And this is why it's important, JT, because not a lot of people realize it was a mandated disassociation. This was basically a lifetime ban for Reggie Bush and a guy that did so many great things on the field there. And he's a good guy and he's a seems to be a good guy. All right. So how can schools in the NCAA, they allow a coach who hits players or programs that cheat. They're allowed to welcome back coaches and continue to coach. But Bush was not allowed. And other players are disassociated forever for 10 years now. 10 years. Are you kidding? 10 years. That's that is. I mean, he played him back in 0405. They've had how many years is that? Uh, 15. I mean, you're looking at four cycles of classes that have gone through there. How is he to help kids learn from his mistake if he can't be there? Like everything with the NCAA is just messed up, needs fixed. You know, they maybe need disassociated from college athletics. Oh, they're about to, as soon as people start paying players, it'll happen. We'll see. All right, I still don't care, but <laughs> let's go. Let's, a good point though, good point. You, you tried to make me care about Reggie Bush. I just don't think Reggie Bush even cares about this. I think he does. I think he wants to be around the program. Hey, those guys miss football, JT. Like, think about all the Hurricanes players that come back to the sideline. They're treated like gods. You don't think he wants that? A little bit of everyone wants some of that when you've been that great. Going back to Robert Morris sidelines. 
They don't want me there, man. Come on. I, I was I was a no-star athlete. I wasn't even an athlete, so they don't want me. Uh, so, uh, so let's switch gears and go to they the don't NBA. Need they, they still don't. <laughs> uh, NBA, where uh, Jay Michael of the Indie Star reported that Paul George, and this is a story that broke uh, earlier this week, was referring to Anthony Davis as the power forward who the Pacers were unwilling to trade for three seasons ago. Even though Davis wanted to play for the Pacers, George, after the Pacers said that they weren't going to acquire George, uh, acquire Davis, George called his agent and told them to get him out of Indiana because the team did not want to win. So, Don, what do you think could have been with the team in 2016-17 season? So, I don't care about this story, all right? Didn't happen in terms of they never made the trade. Why are we playing the what-if game? All right. I definitely know this one. You're talking. You're trying to create drama. This is a created drama. No, Jay Michael trying to create drama. No, drama. This is you. Not even letting this us know his, his first name. He just so, got, a, he's got just, a letter. Just like you don't care about the Reggie Bush. I don't care about this because it's irrelevant. You know why, JT? Cleveland swept them in 2017. All right. The Pacers were a seven seed. Not, and listen, Anthony Davis is a great player, but. It wouldn't have mattered. They still would have – okay, maybe they win one, maybe two games against the Cavs later in the playoffs. It wouldn't have mattered. They still weren't going to beat Golden State in 2017 and 2018. They probably weren't going to even compete with them. They weren't going to beat the Raptors in 2019 because AD was still young. He still wasn't what he is right now. All right? And, yes, maybe PG-13 stays and they see how another season goes but it's not a realistic run until basically last year because AD wasn't ready. So if PG stayed long-term, I'm still not buying. It would have made a lot of difference because the Raptors and now this year, yeah, they would have been good, but no Oladipo, no Sabonis. You love they, got, him. they got a lot for PG 13. Yeah. I mean, the Cavs were obviously the best team because they were still loaded but I think it would have been interesting because if you put – I don't know who they would have had to give up to get AD, but I'm assuming this would have been the team. AD, PG, Miles Turner, Al Jefferson, Monte Ellis, uh, Lance Stevenson, and Jeff T. Like some some combination of that would have been the Pacers team that they would acquire Anthony Davis. That's a pretty good team. And you look at – I think – That would what, have been just Celtic for 2017 because Lance Stevenson's gone. Yeah, but just, just take that one year. The Celtics were the number one seed in the East that year, right? Because Cavs were number two, right? Right. Yeah, so I feel like – because I looked at the rest of the rosters that year, like, like they were okay. Like, uh, like the Raptors were okay. Like, the Wizards were okay. It was really just the Celtics and the Cavs that were the two good teams. And I feel like if this team for the Pacers were together, I think the whole thing with Boston and, like, that Isaiah Thomas MVP run, I don't know if that happens – and to me, you know this, there were some times where, like, you thought the Cavs were on cruise control and, like, they necessarily didn't care about having the number one seed. I think Indiana might have gotten that. And, you know, a team's hot. They're playing good. They got the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. No Not way. saying they would have beat on. the Cavs, but they damn sure probably would have been number two best team in that, that uh, Eastern Conference that year. No way they jumped to a one seed. Not from Boston seven. did it with no stars. Who was on Boston's team? A rookie, Jalen Brown? But that – but that's the difference. They were a team. I just don't see Indiana being able to compete. You got to remember one thing about Paul George, JT. He's a great player, 
But in my opinion, he's never going to be the number one guy. He better, you better have a number one guy. And AD was not a number one guy yet in 2017. Eastern Conference, only three teams are truly viable. Doesn't matter. They don't. One of, get, them, one, one of the teams has no stars. But you got to understand, they. You don't care about this. I don't. Next. That's so, <laughs> Vince Carter, all right? Shout out to Half Man, Half Amazing. As this, as this past week, Vince Carter officially retired, JT. I was sad to see it, but we knew it was coming. So that leads that leads us to ask JT and the fans, you know, they they have their opinion. Um, so this is a good one for them too to think about who is the best dunker of all time, JT. This was so tough to me because I feel like there are two types of dunkers. They're like the regular dunkers and then there are the in-game dunkers. To to me, to me, the best natural dunker, I'll I'll give it to VC because he's he's done some amazing things, like both in dunk contests and in the games. But to me, the best in-game dunker, and I feel like he gets disrespected all the time, to me is Blake Griffin. <laughs> like, he has embarrassed people in a way that I don't know, in a game that is just so disrespectful. So those are my two votes for best dunkers. Best natural one, and then the best in-game is Blake Griffin. And who's the best natural one again? Vince Carter. I gave okay. him that. All right. Just wanted to be clear. So I still think that he's the best at both. All right. All right. The one guy in game that I think can get close is Sean Kemp. Yeah. Is Sean Kemp. Kemp is go, Kemp is, go Kemp back. Is, you got to look at his early 90s. I mean, oh, yeah. He's JT, a monster. There is every every dunk of his is a highlight, and he's dunking on. We're about like, to get a five minute Sean Kemp PSA. <laughs> so, all right. But still, Vince Carter's the best at both. And this is why you go to the slam dunk part, just. Slam dunk in general, 2000, slam dunk contest. He won it, JT, easily, but he won it at a time when people thought all the dunks had been done. Like, it can't get any better than the late 80s, Jordan, the early Dominique. 90s, maybe, yep, Dominique in the late 80s. You know, you had a Harold Miner, D. Brown in there with a Sean Kemp in the early 90s. The reason why Sean Kemp's not the greatest dunker of all time, because it would be him, never won a slam dunk contest. Got to win a slam dunk contest, all right? Yeah. He was in him, didn't win it. Sorry, even though Sean Kemp's my dude. Because I just don't think – I don't think – I think Sean Kemp's an explosive athlete. I just don't think he's, like, a creative dunker. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I will say this. He's he's not as creative as some of these guys. Okay. But That's here's bad. the thing, though, with Blake Griffin, the the reason why I gave him the edge as an in-game dunker rather than VC – and it's, it's not like it's, like, far and away more. I just seen Blake Griffin in games dunk on people where – he necessarily wasn't in the position to do that. Like, like you see Blake, mm -hmm. like I feel like Blake Griffin has dunked on people and embarrassed them in like tight quarters with like no head start. Well, uh, it, it's just been, it's like, I see him dunk on people has been insane. Why I think it's Vince Carter, three reasons. He was doing it at North Carolina. All right. Well before Dude, he was touching the top of the backboard in high school. Well before, well before the NBA. Two. He did it much longer than Blake. Even nowadays, he has some dunks, and you're like, whoa, he still got it. When, so, when the last time you saw Vince Carter dunk? That's two. He did it this year. And then three. He's like, he's like so glad he did that one dunk. And three, most importantly, this, this is the icing on the cake. He dunked 
over seven footer Frederick Weiss in the Olympics in a game. Greatest in-game dunk of all time. Tracy McGrady dunked on seven, seven, six Sean Bradley. Who did it first? Who did it internationally? Who who did it best? Who did it internationally? Who did it best? Vince Carter, because he ran down. Listen, Tracy McGrady's my dude, too. That's one of the best. That's one of the best in-game dunks all time. I'm just saying, Blake Griffin has just posterized people, and it's like, damn. Blake Blake Griffin has posterizing. But there's posterizing them being able to do both. Posterizing and mesmerizing. And that's why both, he's half man, both. half amazing. I feel like every time Blake Griffin has dunked on somebody in the game, they fully in the image. What's Blake Griffin's nickname? Yeah, he don't got one. You know why? Because he's not the greatest in-game dunker of all time. It's Vince Carter, half man, half amazing. Please go on to the next segment. I thought his nickname was Vince Sanity. It's half man, half amazing. That's the better one. Okay. Uh, I'll leave it to you. Vince Carter fan club right here. All right. So we're going to the Corona Extra Topics. Donato. Uh, ESPN recently featured a top 10 list of on SportsCenter of the best players to ever be traded. Who's your best player to ever get the boot? This is the easiest ever. And I know we're going to disagree, but I'm right here, as I always am, but definitely here. All right. It's Babe Ruth. He got tr- the greatest baseball player of all time. He got traded for $100,000 to the Yankees and a 300000 loan in 1920. It's Babe Ruth, greatest player to ever be traded, Babe Ruth. It's hard to argue with that, but I'm just <laughs> going to say something different. Peyton Manning, he, I knew still, <laughs> he, still, he still clearly had uh, some game left. Indy traded him to, to Denver. Look what happened. They won the Super Bowl. They, all, they, they were in another Super Bowl until Seattle just destroyed him. I mean, they, he was prolific with the Broncos, so I got to go with Peyton. I thought you might say Wayne Gretzky. <sighs> he was up there. He was number two. I just think because they Indianapolis let him go so early and, you know, they were close to probably get another Super Bowl with him and then they just gave up. Uh, most fun team to watch that never won a title. Ooh, it's a tough one. So my thing is, JT, we had to have seen them, all right? You can't go back too far if we didn't really remember seeing them because then how fun could they be? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie. I have the 94 Expos, but I don't remember watching too many games of theirs because, I mean, looking at the lineup, I'm excited just listening. You know, Moises Alou, Cliff Floyd, Marquise Grissom, Pedro Martinez, a young Pedro, Larry Walker. I mean, that was a good team. I think they had the best record uh, when the strike hit. But I'm going to go with – and I know there's a lot of fun teams that did things off the field, but just on the field, JT, and I was not a fan of theirs, but – Mad respect. I couldn't, you couldn't take your eyes off of them. The 98 Vikings, 15 and one. Yeah, Randy, they were, they were up there. Randy Moss's rookie year, Randall Cunningham, everyone's favorite. Dude, Randall Cunningham, never forget Thanksgiving at Dallas. He looks over, I think it was the Moss, gives them the wink. They go deep. I mean, just so cool. It was like every game you're waiting for Moss to do something, something spectacular. Yeah. I kind of went along with the same the same rule. Like you had to see them play, and I was just going off of you know teams I saw I saw actually play and I comprehended it. This is probably not a good answer, but to me it was the 2014 Denver Broncos. <laughs> they were just that was ugh. that was that was the uh, the Baltimore Ravens loss. Uh, Jacoby Jones. Was that it? 
Whatever, whichever, whichever year they lost to the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. Oh, to the Seahawks team. Okay. I was, yeah, yeah. Okay, that one you, where, Pey- where Peyton first got there and he threw that seven touchdowns in that first game. Yep, and it was just like a ride the entire season. Gotcha. Like, was it Demarius Thomas, Decker? Was Welker on that team already? Good question. I we'd have to look it up. But that that offense basically was loaded. Oh, they had Julius Thomas too. Like, that offense was just that, loaded. They were put. That was put, his breakout year. Yep. They were putting up just hella stats every <laughs> week so for them to go to the super bowl and just get destroyed by the legion of boom to me that's the funnest team i saw to never win it and and i gotta give a shout out nostalgia per nostalgic purposes to the 1997 pittsburgh pirates i clearly remember this season they ended up 79 and 83 jt guess what was the payroll that year for the whole team 100k <laughs> you're not far off you're actually not far off Nine million dollars. Oh, right there, right around the corner. I was just playing with you. <laughs> All right. So uh we I feel like we talked about this question uh, a couple weeks ago, and now we're finally gonna answer it. So who are the top three greatest Scotty Pippins? And what I mean by Scotty Pippins, these are the clear number two guys of all time in any sport. So JT. We got to have Scotty Pippen on this list, right? I, I put him on, but I took okay. him off because it's obvious. The award's named after him, so obviously he's in there. But see, I don't agree because obviously you and the production team didn't run it by me, all right? And I'm going to give you why he's not the greatest. He's number two. He's number two. I had him at two, but I took him off my list. But then you said it's obviously it's named after him. So, he's But I, I'm listing three, but I mean, Scotty Pippen is obviously one we agree on, so I wanted to get other names in the show. Oh, I see what you did. Anyway... I'm going to go – I'll do an honorable mention then. Huh? He's like, I don't agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Scottie Pippen. Six titles. We know he had to, to take the back seat to Jordan. Number three, Evgeny Malkin of the, of the Penguins. Three Stanley Cups along with Sidney Crosby. Sid the Kid gets all the, all the glory. But without Malkin, man, being on the other lines, it's a different team. Um, and he's been able, when it's just been him and Crosby's been hurt, Malkin has dominated. Number one, JT, this is why he's better than Pippen, Mark Messier. He had five cups with Gretzky uh, with, in Edmonton from 84 to 90. Gretzky obviously gets traded. But the reason why Messier over Pippen, Messier did it with the Rangers as the lead guy. So to me, if you're that great of a number two, when you finally get your chance and you win a cup, when Pippen didn't win an NBA title, that's why you are now ahead of Scottie Pippen as the greatest number two of all time. It's Mark Messier. All right. Well, I originally had Scottie at number two, so I guess I'll I'll make him honorable mention slash number two since the award is named after him. But I just wanted to get these three different ones in here. My number three was uh, Lou Gehrig to Babe Ruth. That's a good one. Number two, I, I thought you would definitely have one of these guys on here, but I put James Worthy to anyone he's, in the Showtime Lakers. So if I'm taking Pippen off, Big Game James is number three. He's all, he's on there. Big so game I had James. number two. And then number one, I had Roger Maris to Mickey Mantle. Okay. Okay. I mean, Roger Maris had a great season compared to Lou Gehrig or some of those other guys. I mean – I don't know if I can put him number one, but I appreciate how you did that. There we go. See? <laughs> All right, JT. So, listen, 
We're going to do one quick trivia time. It's been a long show. People have listened to you way too long. All right. Um, so one trivia question. This is in honor of the 92 Dream Team. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, the leading scorer of the 1992 Men's Basketball Olympics. Do you know who it was? Say it again. Where he's from. The leading scorer of the 92 Basketball Olympics. Who Could was have been it? any country? Yeah, just the leading scorer in that tournament. Assuming it was somebody on the Dream Team. Get that Jeopardy music playing right now as we try to stall while JT and the fans try to think of the answer without Googling it. Arvidas Sabonis. <laughs> no, Oscar Schmidt, I believe, of Brazil. How about that? Never How about that trivia question? Yep. Dream team. He's like, yeah, dream team, but I'm the leading scorer. Wow. Okay. <laughs> anyway, JT, that's all I got for you. It's been a long show. Uh, to the listeners out there, thank you, as always, for listening. JT, great show, uh, as always, or at least in our opinion. Um, and remember to our listeners out there to please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and whatever other platform you find and listen to all of your other favorite podcasts. And please remember, if you like what we do, please leave us a five-star review. And JT, if you don't like what we do, please leave us a five-star review. And please also remember to follow us on social media, our handle at JT and the Don. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So, JT, until the next episode, see ya. Peace.